he either became a serial killer or a CEO. There's no in between. Because that type of bravery is borderline psychotic. He's either going to sue me for sharing that story or show up at my doorstep and you'll never hear from me again. One of the two. Stay tuned to see what happens, folks. everybody and welcome to last first day the podcast where i billy gleason lead guests from all over the entertainment industry back through one more perfect day of school why well their schools happen to have reached out and told me that these people were technically one day short of graduating i know rubbish however due to my magical powers in the space of about 45 minutes to an hour each week i can lead them through the hallways of the last first day academy give them some great experiences maybe remind them of some scarring ones as well and then everything's fine and everyone's graduated again and it's like nothing ever happened now, if you've joined us before, you know exactly how the format goes. If you haven't, I highly recommend going back and checking out those episodes. Just last week, I had legend of late night Brian Stack from Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert sharing amazing stories about his school and Second City. We've had Will Buxton from Formula One and Drive to Survive. We've had Rebecca Lowe from NBC's Premier League coverage. And we've got so many more great guests coming at you. But this week, the Last First Day podcast is taking its first trip to South America. I had no idea this experience would be so, so cool, but also so, so terrifying. Thankfully, I got to take a safety blanket along with me. And that safety blanket was in the form of Joanna Hausman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Last First Day podcast. My guest today is a Venezuelan-American comedian, actress, and voiceover artist you may know from oh so many places. Her fantastic YouTube and social media content, where she was even honored as Best Online Storyteller by the National Hispanic Media Coalition. She has written for the wonderful true TV sitcom Tacoma FD. She is currently head writer for Disney's Hamster and Gretel. She even voices characters for other Disney shows like Milo Murphy's Law and the Monsters, Inc. spinoff Monsters at Work. She's uproariously funny, painfully good at what she does. I invited her on to make me look good at what I I do. Joanna Hausman, how are you, my friend? Oh my God, I love that intro. I was feeling down this morning and now I'm feeling on top of the world. I got you. <laughs> I got you. I'm here to help you out, mate. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a little while since we've seen each other. Jeez, I mean, probably, is it three, four years now? Oh my gosh. I think it's, I think it's four years because it's been three years since lockdown and we worked together significantly before that befell on us. Yeah, I think the biggest problem that we had back then was we worked in an office together that was a dog-friendly office and you were allergic to dogs. I think that was the only... Oh my God, you remember I that? I do remember that. And we were all like... That's so sweet. Oh my God, we don't want to kill her. We want to make sure not to kill her. And you're like, oh my God, guys, no, it's cool. I'll just take some medication because I love the dog. The dog's amazing. Scout, I believe, running around the office. It was, it was such a good time. But you were just like, no, please bring in the dog. Just tell me. Because I've got to take my medication first. I'm such a people pleaser because that is absolutely not what I should have said. <laughs> you should have been worried for your health. You should have been worried for your health. 100%. I think I had asthma those weeks that we worked together in that windowless office, may I add. There was literally no respite from, from the allergens that just accumulated around I me. I think that office had three windows, one above a extremely hot pizza place that was just 
blowing charcoal into the window and then two others that were those very classic New York windows that backed onto another brick wall about six inches away. The glory of making television. That was, and, and, and the glory of, of making a beautiful, wonderful pilot that then did not get picked up. But we made lifelong friends along the way and here we are, me and you. This is what it's all about. It is. You know? It is what it's all about because we actually... We have something more in common than I thought. In my copious research going into this episode, aka reading the homepage on your website, I was reading it <laughs> and I discovered that you were born in England. I was. Yeah. I was. I was born. Absolutely. Yes. Margaret Thatcher changed the law in 1986. So people that were born in England are not automatically citizens. So I'm not an English citizen, but my parents, they were, um, my mother was studying and my father was uh, teaching and I was born there during spring break, sort of by accident in a small town called Royal Leamington Spa. I know Leamington um, Spa, right? Oh my God. Really? Oh, of course. I know a couple people from over that way. It's one of my favorite names places. I mean, it sounds like a destination, but it's just the most pretentious name for a place you could possibly imagine. It's a, it's it a theme park name place. It's a normal town. It's just a town. It, honestly, if you remove one of the three words, it's better. Like, yeah. they, were, they did not have an editor. They were like, yo, you know what we should do? I think the queen went to a spa here once. So let's just like build our entire personality around that. Yeah. I wish it was just called Lemmington, which I think is what people call it, right? I've only really heard of it called Lemmington Spa. Some people drop the royal from it. Oh my God, if you're gonna drop a word, drop the spa. Someone I used to work with back at NBC Sports, actually, one of the hosts of the Formula One coverage, a guy named David Hobbs, he was born there and he told me that once. And I've noticed every single time someone tells me they're from that way, they were born that way, Everybody affects their voice when they are saying it because you can't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, Royal Lemon Spa. That's boring. Royal Lemon Spa. Royal Lemon Spa. spa. Yeah, going down Royal Lemon Spa. No, it's like... Oh, yeah, it's going down Royal Lemington Spa is where I'm at. Because you have to give it the justice it has sort of earned over this time. But how long were you there? I was there very a very short period of time, I think, until I was two years old. The only thing I remember from there is that I had my first crush on a British boy called Lee, I remember. And then I remember there were ducks and a pond and I... flowers. And that's literally the first two years of my life can be summed up <laughs> by just that. <laughs> you had a crush on a boy within the first two years of your life. I just remember this like feeling of love. Every time I saw him, I, I'd get so excited. <laughs> His name, I don't remember his last name. I know his first name was Lee. Mm -hmm. And um, Lee, if you're out there, I've been looking for you. I mean, I am a married woman now. But, you know, I just want to reconnect if you ever... I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of Lees in Leamington, but... We need to tell that story. There's got to be that pilot <gasps> that gets written. And to crush her at the age of two, getting reconnected 30 years later. <laughs> so you have small recollections of it. But you also said you were accidentally born there. Tell me... How did you accidentally get born there? Did mum not know she was pregnant for nine months? No, she definitely was. But, you know, my, my parents are very, very Venezuelan. Like, they're very proud Venezuelans. They met working in government there, uh, trying to make the country a better place. So it felt almost off character to have a child born in England. Mm -hmm. Um but one of the reasons that they were happy to do it is it was free. My yeah. mom said, I did not spend one pound giving birth to you. 
Yeah. What a contrast to her friends that lived in the U.S., but then also in Venezuela. But what's interesting is she details how in Venezuela, all her friends, all of them got C-sections, all of them had private rooms, all of them had private nurses or whatever. You know, this is a third world country. You know, there's a lot of separation and differences within classes that is devastating. And then in England, she was like, everyone gives birth in the same shitty room. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a room with like 40 women and their babies, and there was always someone crying. And she's like, I wouldn't have had it any other way. She doesn't talk like that, but... (laughs) It felt so wonderful. She always says she's forever indebted to England because she gave birth there, did not spend one pound, and she's really grateful to your country. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically like the porch of a fraternity house just with heart monitors going through there. That's where... (laughs) Bro, that's literally what it was. (laughs) And there was like no doctor. She was like, when do I see the doctor? And they're like, oh, you'll see the doctor if something goes wrong. We're just 17 midwives here. Otherwise, we're just going to roll the tray over to your love. You can sort it out yourself. It's fine. (laughs) We haven't got all the time in the world. So was the plan ever to, or did they hope to have you elsewhere? Was the hope to kind of go back to Venezuela? The hope was always to go back to Venezuela. Once I was born, they were like, all right, well, she's Venezuelan. She's not English. So, you know, we'll go back once we're done with our studies. And so then I went to Venezuela at two and then I I was in school there till six. Okay. Um, And there I I went to a preschool called Buki Buki. I like that even someone from there is like, look, I'm aware it's a funny word. I mean, honestly, from Royal Leamington Spa, Pookie Pookie, the names in my life are perhaps not the best. <laughs> like, You know what's interesting is I, I was in England till I was two, but I spoke zero English. Mm. I didn't speak English really until I moved to the States. So in Venezuela, I have all these videos of when I was a kid like singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And you'd think I'd be like, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, I was like, Twinka, Twinka, Lele, Ta, because I didn't know English. Right. Like it was, I was a Spanish speaker, but I, I hated school from day one. Really? Preschool days, you went All of fan. it. I was a deeply anxious kid. I still am a deeply anxious adult. What the fuck am I saying? But <laughs> I was a deeply anxious kid that just preferred being around adults because children were so mean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, adults aren't the nicest people in the world either. At least they're polite. Sometimes. (laughs) Generally. Unless you live in New York. Maybe in Royal Leamington Spa, where I was from London. Oh, yeah, you were? That's true. That's true, mate. Yeah, Yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, my siblings are like seven and eight years older than me. Okay. So people my age terrified me. And I remember begging my mother every morning like I will do whatever so that I don't go to school and she's like we're not having this discussion for the 800th time like you have to go like a legally binding thing like you simply must go to school no 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 I would rather stay home and watch Zorro I had a lot of anxiety and I was I always started school by myself because my siblings were so much older than me I changed schools every two years of my life till I was in high school that's stressful yeah so Mm. I was a really shy kid, cripplingly shy until, until later in life when I realized like, I'm not going to get anywhere being shy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't do this, man. Like- <laughs> <laughs> That's, I found that to be the story for a lot of comedians who work in the business. I know my family would definitely not say I'm one of them, but a lot of comedians who were, or still are, very shy, reserved people and 
Comedy was just the way of getting out of that. Comedy was just, well, I have to be a part of this. I have to participate in society here. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of how I'm going to do it. Because honestly, I don't want to. But maybe if we make it funny, maybe I can be a part of it. Do you find that to be the case for you? Was that kind of how comedy became a part of your life? Well, I grew up quite lonely, I think being basically like an only child in a lot of ways and moving around so much and having to sort of reacclimate to new spaces by myself. But I desperately loved human connection. Mm. The way that I relate to the world isn't through nature. It's like through human contact. Mm -hmm. So for me, I desperately wanted to have connections but for the longest time in school, I just could not figure out how to be popular or how people would want to talk to me or I was bullied early in life. And then I'll never forget, I was starting school in Washington, D.C. This is like four schools after the Venezuela school. This was my third school in the States. It was a public school and I was starting class and I was sitting there and I remember Pokemon cards were like all the rage and oh, yeah. I had spent the summer collecting Pokemon cards because you're bitch I'm a fucking Pokemon card nerd okay <laughs> like to this day I know all the Pokemons I'm obsessed with them I love it I think it's just such a great world build and I remember hearing these guys talking about Pokemons and I was like you know what I gotta do it I'm gonna I'm gonna make a joke I'm gonna make a joke I'm gonna make a joke about Charizard I'm gonna make a joke about Charizard and I turned around and I was like well <laughs> You think that's cray cray? I got a hologram Charizard in my back pocket and it's burning up. <laughs> and they were like, I mean, that was a terrible joke, but you have Charizard? And I'm like, yeah, man, I have Charizard. And that like opened up the world to me and everyone started talking to me. In that moment in my life, dude, it literally felt like, oh my God, I just discovered plutonium. It felt like I discovered something enormous. <laughs> I, I can't think of another person I'm going to talk to or have talked to who is going to say that their bridge into comedy was Pokemon? Because that's fantastic. We're right about the same age, and I was exactly the same as you. We were the Pokemon card era. I don't know if you went to sort of the swap shops. We had those in the UK yes. where you would, yeah, oh, yeah, you bring all yours. If you've got, was it Pidgeot? I, I kept getting that yeah. countless times. Pidgeot. Like, Yo, Pidgeot suck, man. Yeah, it's exactly. just a pigeon. I will give you 30 Pidgeots for anything else. And some dumb kids would be like, yeah, I'll take 30 Pidgeots. And it's like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> that was that age. I, and I don't know to what end we were doing it for, but I know... 20 years later, however long it's been since those things first, probably more since those things first came out, those things are still going. And it's so crazy because, you know, I work on a kid's show now. I write on a kid's show. They're always talking about how you're going to merchandise, how you're going to make teddy bears and stuff. Pokemon was genius. They created a barter system. They created an entire economy yeah. for elementary school children to participate in. I remember feeling so independent. I remember feeling like a little business lady. You've just unlocked, I have not thought about this in I can't wait. decades. We had like a school trip where we went away for like, it was overnight we went away and there was a like a karaoke night, even though we were only... 10, 12, something like that. I don't know. There was a karaoke night. Obviously, the teachers have put something together to try and bring the kids some form of entertainment. And everyone's singing all the songs that were big at the time, whether it's Spice Girls. And I remember one kid 
His kids, I know his name was Alex. I'm not going to put his last name out there into the world. He'll probably never hear this, but in case he does. <laughs> Alex, he, Alex, you're getting put on blast right now. <laughs> Alex gets up there and was Pokemon obsessed. And we all liked Pokemon, but mm -hmm. there were people that if you liked Pokemon too much, you kind of got teased mm. for it. You had to like it the regular amount. He gets up there and does an acapella version of the Pokemon theme song. Oh, no music, no anything, gets up there raw. I had nothing but respect for the guy because, of course, other people were trying to tease him. And I said, you know what? The bravery of him yes. to get up there. He gives it everything, sits back down on the floor crisscross like nothing had happened. And I, was, I just kind of gave him this up nod of like, nice job. There's two options for Alex, okay? He either became a serial killer or a CEO. There's no in between. Because that type of bravery is borderline psychotic. He's either going to sue me for sharing that story or show up at my doorstep and you'll never hear from me again. One of the two. Stay tuned to see what happens, folks. So just to speak a little bit more about your comedy to this point, you've amassed rightfully a huge following online with the fantastic content that you put out there. But because I love an origin story, do you remember the first video you made and put out there the first comedy video you put out into the world oh my god oh my god you just unlocked a part of my brain that i completely forgot about yeah so youtube sort of came about when i was in high school mm -hmm. and i think for our generation it was very new and i don't think we fully comprehended what it meant to upload something onto the internet it felt like, oh, it's a place to store a video and my friends can watch it. But no, it's a place where anyone can see it, okay? Mm -hmm. Pretty much forever. So, Pretty much forever. Forever. Yeah. So when I went to high school, I was back in Caracas. Mm -hmm. I was trying really hard to be a hot girl. Did I succeed? No. But I tried, and that's the important thing. I was dating, like, the hottest boy from the Jewish school. But I was still a wacky, weird, funny bizarre class clown and I was just trying to hide it from the world I think a little bit there was this song called Yasuri Yamile it turned out to be sort of a a spoof song that for a while people thought was real it was a reggaeton song called Yasuri Yamile and it's about a woman saying hi my name is Yasuri Yamile and if you mess with me I'm gonna cut you with a razor blade and me and my friend I was like bro you know what we should do we should do like a parody of this and so we shot this parody I upload it onto YouTube. Weeks go by. And someone's like, oh, I saw your Yasuri Yamile in school. And I was like, oh, what? And I hadn't shared it anywhere. She's like, yeah, I just found it. And then I go into it. It had 10,000 views, which isn't a lot now, but back then. It had gone viral in Mexico. And one school in Mexico, they were obsessed with it. And there's, it was filled with comments of like, oh my God, this is so funny. But like, who the fuck are these idiot girls? Like it was like negative virality. <laughs> they thought we were being serious. They thought we were trying to be cool, but we weren't. We were trying to make fun of the song. I actually deleted it from YouTube because it was overwhelming to be confronted with opinions from people that I didn't know. That, that was a new concept. Yeah. So that was the first video I did and I felt shame for it and that was in 2006 or something like that the first video I remember of me ever getting out there was 
Well, not really a similar circumstance because this was something I didn't mean for it to get out there in the world. It was during mm-hmm. like a charity show we did in high school and mm-hmm. I did the Napoleon Dynamite dance. And mm-hmm. look, it was just doing the dance. It was just doing the dance, ridiculous wig. It was you know no nuance to it. And I remember the stage was too small. So the forward roll, I nearly went into the the first table that was right there. I had to put the brakes on so hard to make sure I did not. I just about pulled it off. There was a very small gap. They had like the platforms on the stage were all these little squares. There was a very small gap that had appeared from whoever had gone before me that when I was sort of sliding my feet along, my foot dropped into it and I almost broke my ankle and nearly tripped doing it. It didn't go perfect, but it happened. I learned how to do it. It was fun. The crowd seemed to enjoy it. But a friend of mine posts it on YouTube more as a like way for us to see it. And at first you sort of see eight people have viewed it. And then somehow out of nowhere, I go back to it once and it's got thousands of views. Oh my God, what? And people have jumped in the comments of this grainy flip phone video of a guy doing a dance at a charity show and people in the comments like that's fucking nothing like it you think that's napoleon dynamite (laughs) dance that you're a fucking joke and it was like oh my god i was doing this to raise money for sick kids but everyone's like that's not even the fucking same you should be ashamed of yourself you should take this offline I think the internet has changed so much now for sure like Mm. i've been uploading to youtube for many years now on purpose now there's all these things put in place to limit all of this exposure to bullying yeah and it's so interesting that back then it was i don't know i thought i had escape bullying i was i think 16 or 17 i'm like okay i think now no one's bullying me anymore Mm -hmm. because i've been using comedy i can defend myself but then it was like oh i uploaded something to youtube bam bullied (laughs) (laughs) yeah well looking back to that first video and a different time there's a reason i bring that up because We are going to have to go back to that time. I'm so sorry to bring this up, and it's awkward every single time I have to bring it up, but there is a reason I brought you here today. It wasn't just to talk about your comedy, your videos, your your Royal Leamington Spa. It wasn't just to talk (gasps) about all of that. I'm so sorry I've duped you into it. So I got a call earlier this week from your high school. I, I couldn't quite hear the name at the other end of the phone. What was the name of your high school? Escuela Campo Alegre, or ECA. I, <laughs> I, I'm going to make it easy for you. <laughs> thank you very much. ECA, yeah. So ECA calls me, thank you, and says to me, Billy, look, we know you've done a few episodes of this podcast now. We've caught wind of it. We saw it online. There were so many negative comments out there. I don't know why, but we've seen it <laughs> online, and people seem really mad for no reason. But... <laughs> Someone that you know that you worked with a while back in a windowless office. We need to get a hold of her and it's been very, very difficult because she's a very busy person. But we figured that maybe you would be able to reach out. We also kind of don't have the guts to reach out to her because she really never wanted to hear from us ever again. She hated school so much. So if we call her, (laughs) she's going to get really annoyed. So would you mind reaching out to her and saying... Technically, she was one day short of graduating. We are so embarrassed and she needs to do one more full day of school. But since she hated it so much, it can be all of her perfect things, all her favorite classes, teachers, lunches, everything. She could just do one more perfect day with you and then she's fully graduated. She doesn't even have to set foot in here again. So Joanna Hausman, will you do that with me? Will you participate in your last first day at ECA? 
100%. I have this dream regularly. <laughs> so let's get it out onto the interwebs because why not? Well, fantastic. This is the last first day of Joanna Hausman. Joanna, let's start with the easy one. Tell us about your school. Tell us about where it was. What was it mm -hmm. like? Just give us sort of the general setting. So Escuela Campo Alegre was in Caracas, Venezuela. And it was the American International School in Caracas. Mm -hmm. It was a really, really dangerous city. The school is not dangerous, thankfully. So security was high. So mm -hmm. in order to even go into the school, you needed to have a sticker on your car. They needed to double check. To get even into the premises was kind of tough. In the school, there had been an attack at one point during um, protests. Smoke bombs were thrown into the school. So yeah, so security wow. is like a, a big deal at my school. It's really beautiful, very picturesque. It's right at the bottom of a cliff. Mm. It has everywhere from preschool to high school. So it's this big complex and there's kids from everywhere in the world. Majority of them are from Latin America, a lot of them from Venezuela, obviously, but I'd say maybe 50% are from anywhere else that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. We were known in Caracas as the weirdo school. Um, because the people that went to my school were like maybe a little bit more artsy. They were influenced by our American and Canadian teachers that were like 25 or 26. Like our teachers were so young. I can't believe I learned math from like a 23 year old, you know, <laughs> it was a community of expats in a lot of ways. And our teachers were almost the same age as us. So it was just a really interesting dynamic that's different than the rest of the schools I'd say back home where a lot of them were religious a lot of them were very structured in science and math my school was just kind of like a hippie-ish school <laughs> <laughs> did your parents ever tell you why they specifically wanted you to go there I had been going to school in the states and I wanted to go there because there was a robust theater program Hi. I wanted to go to a place where everyone was a a third culture kid, meaning a kid that doesn't really belong anywhere. They speak English, but they live in Venezuela. Maybe they lived in different places. They don't really feel like they belong. And that's one of the things I really loved about this school is no one was from just one place. Gotcha. So it was hard. Like bullying was kind of not really existent because <laughs> everyone was weird. Right. Um, I actually had a great high school experience. Oh. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the waking up early in the morning and being there till super late and all the homework. But in retrospect, I think I liked it. Tell me a bit more <laughs> about the routine because you touched on it. What sort of time did you wake up and what was your routine after that? All right. So I wake up 15 minutes before I have to leave. All right. Oh I like God. waking up and feeling like I'm about to die. That's the <laughs> only way I get out of bed. I had to leave my house right at 730 because traffic in Caracas is like really, really annoying. And I lived on the other side of town. I would put my alarm at 7.15. In Venezuela, every single kid has the same uniforms. Okay. Elementary school is a white shirt, white polo shirt. Middle school is a blue polo shirt. Okay. And high school is a beige polo shirt. Now, I don't know if you can see me clearly, but I'm beige. So <laughs> this polo shirt was made for the beautiful sun tanned Venezuelan people that are not me. So my school uniform always looked like I was like naked, but somehow wearing a polo shirt. Okay. <laughs> that was what I wore for four years. A polo shirt, the color of my skin. Right. Very Jennifer Lopez. If she only walks around in polo shirts. 
A hundred percent. That's sexy though, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I would scarf down breakfast maybe in two minutes at mm-hmm. home. Which was what? Like a piece of bread and cheese or something like that. Okay. Never a sweet, never a sweet breakfast. Never okay. a sweet breakfast. Not toast, just straight up bread. No, toast, 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 toast. Okay. I'm not a monster. I'm not going to eat just flaccid bread. It's a toasted <laughs> bread. Come on, Billy. Come on, come on. <laughs> the bread referred to as flaccid, but that really made me laugh. so a crisp toast yes turgid bread with some cheese sounds good okay great to this day that's my breakfast and then a really sweet coffee like basically all milk and just a little bit of coffee and then and then that was enough to like rev me up nice my car was my grandfather's old car it was, I think, a 1986 Toyota Corolla that could only go up to like 30 miles an hour because it was so fucked up. <laughs> it would be illegal to drive this car in the States, but it was perfectly legal back home. Just for context, gas prices, this is a gas country. Gasoline is free, basically. Wow. It's the amount of shitty cars you see on the street because it costs nothing to drive it is obscene, which causes a lot of traffic jams because there's a bunch of cars always fucking up the highway. So for me to get to school, I'd get into my shitty ass Toyota Corolla and I would crazy taxi it to my school. I love, sorry, I love the idea that these cars are like pissing gasoline all over the streets. It's like, doesn't matter, doesn't cost anything. We'll we'll clean it up later. It's just spraying out everywhere. It's free, it's free. Kids are dancing in the street with just gas flying over them. It's like the scene of Zoolander. Yeah. It's like the scene from Zoolander everywhere. That's what Caracas is like. And you had the sweet coffee. You had the orange mocha frappuccinos. Fantastic. And, and there we go. Comes together. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going along in the 1986 Toyota Corolla that's barely clearing 30 miles an hour. I imagine you didn't have to get on any freeways or anything like that. On the way back from school, I would take, but on the way to school, I had a little back roads way to avoid traffic, but it was quite an aggressive drive. Once you get to the school gates, right, you have your little security badge to make sure that you can go in. There's like security checking to see that you are in fact a student. They're checking your uniform. They're checking the the sticker. You go up. I park my car and this without fail happened every time. So at the beginning of every school in Venezuela, the, the beginning of the day, they have to play the national anthem. No way. I didn't think a country could be more egregious about it than America itself. But in Venezuela, they did it at the start of the school day. Oh, every day they would play this shitty tape that would cut in and out. Like they couldn't even invest in a new tape. I don't know why. It was a tape too. It wasn't even a CD. It's a beautiful national anthem, but it Mm. just is a terrible recording of it. And you had to stand in your tracks when it was playing. So if you were running late, and every day I was running late to school... You had to stop. If you were two steps away from your homeroom, you had to stop. You could not walk while the anthem was playing. So every morning I would go up the back stairs because if the national anthem was playing, but I was in the back stairs, there was no teacher to see me Mm -hmm. rush up. So then I would like slither all the way to my homeroom class, wait right in front of the door. And then right when it ended, I would open the door and I'd be like I was right here I was right here right when it started you can't say I was late and so it would it worked every time so that was like the beginning of my day it always felt like a chaotic entrance to the world 
There is so much to unpack there that I don't even know where to start. That is absolutely incredible. So the 1986 Toyota Corolla, I'm going back to the car to begin with. Is this the sort of commute that did just about everybody have a shitty car? Was it one of those areas that it was, traffic was so crazy and it was so hard to get around that it was just beat up cars that you might get, you know, bumping into each other, who knows what? Oh, sweet Billy. Oh, sweet Billy. You know, you've never lived in a dangerous third world country and it shows. Okay, because <laughs> let me tell you something. Venezuela is the kidnapping capital of the world, or at least oh, it was. Wow. Yeah. So having a shitty beat up car was actually a form of security. Right, because yeah, no target on your back. Yeah. No, I know that wow. from the London days. Oh yeah, you had a flash car. You're coming back and the wheels are fucking gone. All your car's just getting keyed because it's like... Look at this fucking arsehole. Like, for no reason, just other than, fuck you. I don't like the fact that you have nice things. Yeah, oh, wow. See, yeah, that, that wasn't the case as much there. It was more like, you know, when you're stuck in traffic, there was a lot of armed robbery. You know, it was very efficient. They would just rob a bunch of cars. <laughs> so it was a really shitty car because it was like, you know, it was safe kind of to drive yeah. around in a shitty car. My friends that had nicer cars had bulletproof windows. Whoa. And my parents were like, we're not buying a car with blue. That's insane. Your grandfather has a 1986 Corolla. Okay. You're driving that little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Was school bus or anything an option or did you have to drive? It was an option. I took it for like the first year, but it traffic was so insanely impossible to predict. Mm -hmm. It would sometimes be like two hours in the bus. (laughs) Fucking hell. And this is my last day, senior year, so I can drive, you know? Of course, and it's your perfect day. Do you have any tunes you play in the car? Was there any perfect playlist? 100%. Panic at the disco, baby. (laughs) Another, do you see how toxic I am in the morning? Everything has to be hard. I love the sound of Panic at the Disco, but it's also a horrible sound. (laughs) You know? Now I'm of consenting age to be forgetting you in a cabaret. And that I'm singing it, drinking my sweet ass coffee, just rushing down the streets. It's just beautiful. I fucking love it. (laughs) You've got your tunes. You're pumping out Panic at the Disco. You've got to school. You've got through security. I want to get the bad stuff out of the way first. The bad classes out the way first, because we've got plenty of bad out the way already, but let's get to the bad classes. What are the ones you want nowhere near your schedule? Fucking math. Math. uh, Every time I was in math class, I thought to myself, am I really this stupid? Mm -hmm. Like, am I? For context, my dad is a mathematical genius. (laughs) And me, my sister, and my brother, and none of his genes functioned on us. You know what I felt? I felt like make the numbers a character and tell me a story. Like I, 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 I I don't connect to this. 70% of my homework time was just math. And every time there was a pop quiz, I'd cry. So I don't want that. I don't want math. I think that's actually a good point. I've never really thought about before that other subjects, whether it was history, geography, English, the way they're trying to explain it to you, you could always come up with a new analogy or a new Mm -hmm. comparison. If you're not really understanding Shakespeare, compare it to another book, movie, Mm -hmm. author, whatever. Maths, it's just, if you don't get the numbers, then I don't know what to do for you. I don't know what to do for you. I was that kid who, the moment I started to get it, 
I was totally wrong. I, I thought, you know, I'd poured all my hard work into it. I'm finally starting to get this equation. And, oh, there's the answer at the end. Teacher, I did it. Teacher, I did it. And you show the teacher and they'll be like, that's so yeah. fucking bad. That's terrible. You're a million <laughs> miles away. And I was like, God, why is this class so degrading? It really it's is. so degrading. You know, and I feel like this is the case for any culture. People that are good at math are always perceived as smarter. Yes. Than time. if you're just good at English. Because yeah. I felt so dumb. And mm. I had to take physics one semester, it was just hard math. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how dare you do this to me? So I don't want physics, I don't want math, but mm -hmm. plot twist, love biology. Mm -hmm. So my science class, bio. Okay, but physics was nowhere Absolutely to be seen. Absolutely like, Did you have to take physics to the point where you started talking about space at all? No. Oh man, I had to do that in my school. I can't tell you how fucking much I hated it because I don't understand physics on this fucking planet. And then they decided <laughs> to take it into outer space. Can I just go to another class? No one story who has ever been a great physics teacher, someone in the world of physics or maths or someone like that is someone who says, oh yeah, I was terrible at it until suddenly at the age of 20, it all fucking connected. There should be it's a tap like out clause. Yeah. It's like sports. It's like, if you're not good at math by this age, just uh, you're out. You should have a button. You should have a button like the golden buzzer they have in America's Got Talent. You should be allowed to press that and just say like, nope. Yeah. Confetti should come flying down. Maybe black confetti comes down while Panic at the Disco is playing. And it's just like, <laughs> nope, no, I'm done. This is my exit. I'm just going to take more of another class. That actually works a bit yeah. for me. I'm going to go sit in English for a bit longer. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I just don't want to waste your time at the end of the day because I'm a 100%. lost fucking cause. So maths, physics, nowhere near your schedule. Are they the no. big two? Any others? Honestly, I think PE. Really? You can't make me run a mile at 10 a.m. and then be like, you have a full day now where you're just like sweaty in your fucking uniform. How dare you i've had this conversation so many times it's an end of the day thing no yeah. negotiations shouldn't be at the start you're already exhausted at that age you're exhausted just existing in the world waking up in the yes. morning sucks so to try and sap every last bit of energy i have left tack it on at the end of the day tack it on the end of the day and have it have it be light have it light why, why not just be like, you know what? Get on a little treadmill and walk around. Yeah. But yeah. no, it's like this. It's like an army. It didn't make me love exercise. It made me fear it. When we had oh, rugby, God. when they made you run lines, which is not what it means in the entertainment business, you know, that would be <laughs> running lines actually has a few meanings in the entertainment business. Yeah, but actually, I went to the one that you would not expect first. <laughs> you, that's because you live in LA. So mm -hmm. I, we were on the rugby field and they would make you go, you know, from the very last, like the very end of the field, you run to the first line and then back and then the next line on the field and then back and then the next line on the field and then back. And then when they felt like it, by the time you come back, oh, okay, do 10 press ups for us each time you come back and then sprint out to the next line and come back. And then let's go play a game of rugby after that. I, I think it's child abuse. 
I'm just going to lay that out there. We are filing suit here on the I'm podcast. Filing suit. I vote against it. <laughs> so we've got we've got the bad out of the way. We are going to start moving into the good. If you had your dream class to start the day, what class is it? And if you remember, what teacher is doing it too? I think I would probably start with English. Okay. With Mr. Temple. I just loved the fact that all we did was read stories and then talk about our opinions. It felt like such an easy class. <laughs> well, I think he was a great teacher. I had a bad English teacher, 11th grade. Uh, <laughs> he sucked. But Mr. Temple, he loved books and he loved poetry. So it was kind of infectious and we would just sit and discuss and talk. And it felt like what now dinners with friends feels mm. like. <laughs> As an adult, like, oh, what did you think about severance? What were the themes? What were the metaphors? It's what we did with books. So I would start my day off with Mr. Temple. You mentioned the bad teacher in English. What made a bad English teacher opposed to the good one? Bro, he had gone to my school before. He, ha he was a graduate from my school. He was a jock who turned into the English teacher, which immediately no. Yeah. Immediately no. Not a trajectory so he, I expect. He clearly preferred the jocks because he was also the soccer coach. They would uh, get A's. And I got a B minus in that class. I was a straight A English student. And I got a B minus in that class when I got this guy. And then it came out years later that he never read our essays. He just guessed what grade to give us. No. English teachers have to be the sweet guy or lady. Toxic yeah. masculine men teach PE. Yes. They, they instill you with fear so you go up the rope. Mm -hmm. This guy should not have been an English teacher. There we were talking about Ibsen and he was like, just being an asshole. I'm like, bro, no, I can't. Literally, Ibsen, a dollhouse. This is about femininity and being trapped in a cage. I'm trapped in a cage in your classroom. Look at me using metaphors. I guess I did learn from him, but. <laughs> <laughs> you took that from Mr. Temple. I'm not giving him any credit Mr. for any <laughs> of that. <laughs> I agree. Thank you, Mr. Temple. We've got out of English. We're not at lunch yet, but was there any sort of mid-morning break? Was there like a recess or something like that? Yeah, we had a mid-morning break where we had fried Venezuelan breakfast food, so empanadas, tequeños. It was really deeply unhealthy, and we would just gobble down these delicious breakfast pastries at the okay. cafeteria, which was outdoors because it's about 75 degrees year-round in Venezuela, so the cafeteria was just this covered open space with like views of the mountain. It was beautiful. And we would be eating our, our little cholesterol-filled, heart attack-inducing snacks. But it didn't affect you at that age. It just no. rolled right through you. You just felt absolutely great. If I had that now, I would probably die. <laughs> like, they would reuse the oil too. Like I'm sure they just did, never swapped out the oil. I, it was I'm the same oil. They didn't. I never saw anything <laughs> like that get swapped out. It wasn't until I worked no. in a restaurant years later and they would drain out the oil. And I was like, why are you doing that? It's like, uh, that's what you're supposed to do every night. I was like, oh, never seen oh. anyone do that in my life. <laughs> that's why we're going to take that cholesterol infused meal and move into the second class of the day. And what would that be? You know, I, I really love biology. I was weirdly good at biology because everything was a story. I could wrap my head around the concepts. And Mr. Vries, my bio teacher, was really, really nice. And she had all these, okay, I don't know if you guys had them in England. We had all these like dead animals and like baby fetuses, like human fetuses in our bio room. 
Absolutely not. I don't know where they got this shit, but there was literally a baby fetus. No. And there were like animals cut in half and stuff, like just floating in, in some liquid. It was this like weird room. It smelled a little off, but it was fun. We're opening up a chicken wing or something. It always felt like an intense moment. It sounds like you walked into a mad scientist's lab, but you loved it. I loved it and I had a one of the bad kids in my class and every day he would take one of these dead animals and put it in someone's backpack and we waited until the end of the day to see how long it would take them to notice. One time it was me, there were three dead animals in my backpack. Whoa, oh um, my God. But you know, I like being kept on my toes, so <laughs> I really love bio. <laughs> I mean, I once had kids, you know, throw gum at my backpack and turned around that it was stuck to it. I never randomly had dead animals in my bag. That's weird. I guess it would have been illegal in most countries to have all these things just laying around with teenagers. Is there a lot of stuff you look back on and think, yeah, that was probably illegal? A hundred percent. Oh my goodness. And Mr. Vries, you said? good teacher yeah she was really really nice and she i think she was passionate about nature and stuff she was from the states and she would go hiking and she's just like a nice lady and Mm. i will say she was treated so poorly by my class oh but i was never mean because i just i love that class was it because you think maybe she was too nice people sort of abused that and took their shot yeah she was too nice you need to be a little bit of a dick to be a teacher You do. I 100% agree. I think back on every teacher who was clearly a sweet person, often old lady at our school who was just very polite, very, very nice, would get eaten alive because we're all arseholes. We're all arseholes, especially at my school. We were an all-boys school. So the testosterone hopping around that room was horrendous for anyone who was sat at the front of it. You had to be a brave wow. soul. That to sounds be, like hell. But it, you would still have her that, again. Oh, 100%. Yeah, she was great. And it was a class that was easy to follow. Right. So we've got out of biology. Mr. Vries, very, very sweet. You've maybe taken a couple of dead animals with you and tortured a few people with that. We are yeah. moving into probably the most important and sometimes controversial part of the day, and that is lunch. The big yeah. question, did you bring, did you buy? Buy. Always buy. I could not be trusted with a lunchbox. I would lose them. They would rot. They would create infestations akin to that of The Last of Us. Um, (laughs) So very early on, my mom was like, we're not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. You got to go buy. And the food was really good. The line was sometimes long. So who you stood in line with was a big deal. Mm -hmm. You sat at the same table every day with the same people. Still outdoors, Um, like like break time it was all outdoors everything was outdoors now that i'm an adult i realize that right after lunch i'm dead yes so the class right after lunch was usually the one that i hated going to the most right well before we get there the lunch itself if we are making the ideal lunch was there a lunch at the school that yes you loved them oh get into it what was it? Uh, it was just a Venezuelan national dish, which is rice, beans, minced meat, and plantains. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was all made fresh. It was delectable. You'd always get a little fruit. We had sodas. We had sweets. Uh, what I loved about it is I always forgot my cash. And so I had a, I just had a cuenta, a um, credit line. A tab. <laughs> a yeah, tab I had a tab and I just, 
Yeah, I'd pay it at the end of the month. Like, my mom would be like, where the fuck is the money I gave you? I'm like, "Ah, somewhere in my backpack. I don't remember. (laughs) And it was super cheap. It was super cheap. It was, like, maybe equivalent to, like, four bucks. And it sounds Uh, like that's a full-on meal. It's a huge huge meal with the soda included. It was great. It was a great time. I really loved lunch. Oh, that's awesome. No complaints. Any ways you spent the time, like, hanging out with friends, kicking a ball around? Usually, I would talk for like 10 minutes and then I'd probably do homework that was due in my later classes. Cause I was like, I had three hours of homework a day. Like I would, yeah. I would get home and do three. So I would be doubling up at lunch. We are getting very close to done with the day. We've got just two more things left to do. One of them is your final class, which you've already said you would kind of be dreading that because your energy is completely zapped from lunch. But what is that final class to get you to the end of the day? Drama for sure drama you're not sitting down you're like on your feet i was really good at drama mostly because it was just like 10 of us in the class mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of easy to be good uh and then you know a lot of the kids in that class were the ones that were good at math so it's like fuck you bitches <laughs> who's laughing now you know the pythagorean theorem or whatever it's called well i know how to memorize lines better did you have a great teacher in drama i had a good teacher what i will say is i think he sort of ruled with an iron fist a bit Mm. and he assumed a lot of times that we were trying to get the better of him but I was like really invested in drama Mm. and I would somehow get in trouble in class for for reasons to this day I don't fully comprehend was he just an angry person I don't know what it was I really don't know what it was but but it didn't really matter because it was still fun we were still doing our plays. We were doing our scenes. We were doing Comedia dell'arte. I mean, that's what I do as a job now. So is like fuck around. So it was, <laughs> it was amazing. That's the perfect way to end the day because right after that, I have to go into like two or three hours of rehearsal. So it's a good warm up. When you were back in high school, did you know that this dramatic field, the writing field, did you know that that was what you wanted to do back then? I knew I wanted to do it. It felt impossible. I didn't know what other job other than a playwright was available. Mm. So I wrote a bunch of one-act plays in and short stories in high school that then I used to apply to college because I knew I wanted to be some kind of writer. It was what I was good at. And I loved acting. But I didn't understand the concept of being a comedian until after college. So I knew I wanted to be in the arts and I knew that's what I was good at, but I just had no idea how to how to start. Is there a moment in your life to maybe speed past school that was that aha moment? A friend of mine in college, Brian Agler, he actually unfortunately passed uh, during the pandemic. So and um, he was like, you know, you, you're a good writer and you're a funny performer. Have you thought about going to Second City? And I was like, what is that? Because I'm from Venezuela. Like, my family doesn't know this stuff. I didn't understand the world of comedy. I didn't know the difference between improv, sketch, and stand-up. I didn't know this stuff. Mm -hmm. I just knew, like, plays. And then I spent a semester at Second City, and it almost felt like I'm finally in a school for me. Mm -hmm. Like, tailor-made for me. There's no class I hate. There's no class I dread. From morning to night, I am absolutely enamored with all my teachers and all my coursework 
And that was for me the moment where I said, oh, I'm, I'm this thing. Fantastic. So we are now at the end of your day and there is one big thing you have left to do. So all of the students that are at your school today that are at ECA are gathered in, they can be gathered in like the auditorium, the great hall, whatever it is. They can also be sat on the grass outside since it's lovely, since it's like that all the time. So let's do that since that sounds nice. Everybody sat outside and you're going to give them a speech and you are going to say to everybody at your school what you think may help them along the way because these kids are looking to you wondering how to succeed in life and how to maybe get into this industry or what to do or what not to do. What advice are you sharing with the kids of today at ECA? Oh my God. I'd say, don't worry about being good at everything because mm-hmm. no one is good at everything. And school is structured in a way to make you feel like you have to be good at everything. Bitch, you ain't got to be good at everything. <laughs> be good at a couple of things. And love doing that. Mm. Love doing those couple of things. And then I think one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice that I wish I had heard in my life, because, you know, I think growing up, we were told a lot of stories of individualism and of this person being, you know, this brave, single human that just made it on their own. And I think the best thing you can do is surround yourself with people that maybe have skills that you don't or that you can learn from or that push you surround yourself with those folks because you're going to need that because you by yourself is not enough. I've said this to countless people over the years that I think the word self-made anything is utter bullshit. Anyone who says there is self-made something, it's nonsense because even if you feel like you've done it all yourself and you've worked really hard, you deserve wonderful credit for doing that. The circumstances around you, the people around you, the people you've interacted with, someone has helped. Literally no one has done any of this stuff all by themselves. Even people have got on stage at the Oscars and said, you know, that they came up through nothing and that they were they were this sort of you know, rags to riches story, whatever it look is. This this isn't supposed to happen to people like me. It's like, yeah, but there were countless people who pushed this wagon to the finish line with you and you are just the face of it so any idea that you've got to make it all happen by yourself is complete bullshit the the comedy industry even if you're a stand-up comedian that thing where you're so isolated you're up there by yourself with a microphone in your hand you've got there because of people around you people around you have given you a shot who have helped you write material who have riffed with you over the years who have inspired you who have made you want to do this so I totally agree with that. I think that's a wonderful point of you don't have to do it all by yourself. And that's a a crazy idea that is really pushed upon you of just like, yeah, there's the only, your own worst enemy is you. The only person that's going to get in your way of your dreams is you. Bullshit. Stuff's going to happen in your life that's going to fucking suck. And it's going to be completely out of your fucking control as well. So maybe don't blame yourself as much either. And you know what I loved about school is you're surrounded by people that are going through exactly what you're going through and you can commiserate and go through that. And, and, you know, oh, we all took the same test. Oh, we all have this and we all have finals. And there's this feeling of camaraderie that, you know, I didn't realize how special it was until I left. And cause you know, now you're an adult and when you're an adult, you're, you're kind of, you kind of are on your own in a lot. Like no person has the same day I do. 
No. In school, 55 people had the same day yes. I did. Yeah. Um, but finding those types of relationships in adulthood, I think, are really important. And yeah, it's the reason I am where I am. Without the people and the, you know, the quote unquote schoolmates that aren't schoolmates, they're, you know, comedy mates I've, I've made over the years, I just wouldn't be here. It, it, I would not be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're going to take a quick speed back through your day to just make sure that we hit all the points and made sure this day was absolutely perfect. So you woke up about 15 minutes before leaving your house when you had to go at 7.30 in the morning. You'd scarf down some breakfast in about two minutes, toast and cheese. It definitely wasn't just floppy bread or flaccid bread, excuse me. Flaccid bread. Fla it definitely wasn't flaccid bread. Your sweet coffee was there. You've got your beige polo shirt on because that's what you had to have going into high school for your commute to the other side of town in your 1986 Toyota Corolla originally owned by your grandfather that maxes out at 30 miles per hour but it's okay gas is so cheap so on the way there you're not getting on the highway you're taking all the back roads you're having a good time you're pumping panic at the disco but then you get to the school you've got to go through all security and they've got to check your shirt color make sure everything's good and you've got to stop dead in your tracks when the national anthem starts but it's okay because you're doing that in the stairwell and you're just sneaking back up there so that you were just outside of your classroom and the teachers can't get mad at you and those teachers definitely weren't teaching you maths because you hated that you didn't get your dad's genes they weren't teaching you physics and they weren't teaching you PE what they were <laughs> teaching you it was English and there was Mr. Temple who loved books and poetry he was teaching that to you he was making sure the soccer coach was nowhere near your English class <laughs> then right after that you're having empanadas outdoors things you probably couldn't consume today but back then easy absolutely easy empanadas every day then you're going into biology with mr Vries. nice she loved hiking everyone was a bit mean not today because everyone's going to be lovely it's the perfect bloody day and maybe you're pulling a few pranks on people you're pulling things out of jars chucking them in people's backpacks we're still enjoying ourselves lunch you're buying you couldn't be trusted with your own stuff it gets all moldy you maybe lose the lunch blocks mum's not going to be mad today because you're buying your rice beans mincemeat and plantains having a drink on the side maybe getting a little bit of a head start on your homework so the next day's not so bad but don't even worry about that because there isn't a next day now this is the last one and then the final good class drama with rehearsal after you're on your feet after lunch you're getting moving you're getting inspired it inspired you to be the person that you are today and then you're telling all those kids outside don't worry about being good at everything such such important advice and with that joanna hausman you have completed your last first day at ECA. Congratulations, my friend. Oh my God. It feels so good to finally finish high school. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. <laughs> um, maybe the dreams I have every week that I haven't finished high school and I have to go back. Maybe they'll end after this because it was a premonition. Those dreams were a premonition. I hadn't. The book is finally <laughs> closed. Please do let me know. And I hope this form of therapy did work because then maybe we can share it with other people who want to come on the podcast and face their fears. But it was an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Is there anything you want to plug, share with the world, talk about before I let you go today? Sure. Uh, check out uh, my show on uh, Disney Plus, Hamster and Gretel. It's uh, by the creator of Phineas and Ferb. So you know, it's got some good gags and family guide type humor in it. Um, and uh, my podcast is currently in hiatus, but we're coming back and that is hyphenated. So listen to me there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Check her out online, her YouTube page, her social media accounts. You can find her there as well. It was a pleasure to see you again, my friend. You're an absolute delight. You're always so wonderful to me, even in the short time that we work together. And you're so wonderful for agreeing just to come on this podcast. So I thank you so, so much. It was a complete delight. Thank you again. Oh my God, thank you, Billy. And so ends another Last First Day at the Last First Day Academy. Thank you so, so much to Joanna Hausman for joining me for her Last First Day for the first last time. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go back to your streaming service and give us a rating, give us a like, give us a comment and tell us about your most ridiculous school lunch. I want to hear all your stories and more. Thank you once again to Ruben Alexander for providing the theme music for the show. To the rest of you, be sure to join us again next week because I've got another fantastic guest from the entertainment industry who's tying up their velcro laces can you tie up velcro laces you can't i'm just realizing that as i say it but i'm leaving it in they will be joining me next week as they participate in their last first day here at the last first day academy so until then class dismissed